Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you right now not to hear somebody, but to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that right now you would speak to us. You would move by your spirit, Lord, that this morning you would help us to have a proper, a better, a more real understanding of our need for you. God, forgive us of self-reliance and trusting on ourselves. Forgive us for our pride and for our uh, seemingly ignoring you so often. Help us, God. Help us to return to a place of reliance on you, desperate for your help, because that is what we really are, God. We need you. Lord, I need you. So would you move and speak to us by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, When God tries to get your attention, he always has a good reason. Did you know that? He never gives a shoulder tap. He never reaches into our lives for a wasted opportunity. There is always a good reason. And I don't know about you, but knowing that and thinking about the last 16 to 18 months, I keep thinking whatever the Lord is trying to teach me, I want to learn it the first time. I don't know about you. I don't need any more waves. I was not a, um, I can't even speak, so you'll know I'm not making this up. I'm not academically inclined, okay? And so I had to take classes more than once in my life, and I don't like it, and I don't want to have to learn lessons multiple times. I want to get what God has for me the first time. Are you like that? Do you want to hear from the Lord if he has something for you? Now, maybe you're like, well, yeah, yeah, I do, but, but we say it, but do we really want it? Like, think about it for a second. Perfect, sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing ruler and creator, designer, and upholder of the universe, he has something for us. Do we want to hear it? And will we receive it? Now, we would say yes. Hopefully you would say yes. And that's good. We want to hear what the Lord has for us. But then in our hearts, in these moments of difficulty and challenge and trial, we're like, okay, but if it could just get back to how it was, that'd be great. And what happens is we begin to forget that all of the blessing The best it ever was, all of the good, all of the plenty, all of the freedom, all of the abundance, all of it was only ever graciously by God's design because whether we like it or not, we are completely reliant on God. We are completely reliant on God. The nation of Israel in 2 Chronicles 20 and through the rest of Scripture was completely reliant on God. God would often work in different ways to get their attention. Sometimes it was through things like exile, Um, Sometimes it was through things like captivity. He works in our lives through difficult circumstances, joblessness, illness, relational breakdown, pandemic, all sorts of things to help us more accurately understand how reliant we are on him. And all of those things are to point us back to better have our, our hearts and our minds rightly understanding how much we need God. Now, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, okay, I don't need this message because I am completely reliant on God. I'm totally desperate for God to help me right now. Well, this hopefully will be encouraging to you. Now, maybe you're here and you're like me. And so often I get into a place where I need to be reminded of how much I need the Lord. And how much I need God's help. So, Second Chronicles 20, hopefully you're on the way there. Let me give you a little bit of context uh, to help you understand what we're jumping into. Often people think First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, they kind of go together. They're like history books. That's true. Um, First and Second Kings 
were written to a people who were in exile. In fact, these four books of the Bible were some of the last books recorded in the Old Testament. All right? And so hopefully this slide will help you. But First and Second Kings were for those in exile to, to know how did we get here. There's a lot of sin displayed in First and Second Kings. Here's a list of things not to do. This is what God is not pleased with. That's essentially what First and Second Kings are. That's a really brief summary, okay? First and Second Chronicles, post-exile, they've brought back out of exile. They're coming back to the promised land. Can we restore what we had? This is now over and over examples of things that the Lord blesses of what God wants to see from his people. And so there are all these stories from before they were exiled of faithful people and what did they do and how did they live and how we need to return to that kind of living. And so the lesson for us today is about returning to reliance, relying on the Lord, God's provision, his production. It's not ours. All the blessings we want, all the end of restrictions, all the restoration of relationship, all the provision of work and physical healing and purpose of life and salvation for a loved one and emotional peace, it's all good, but it's always only ever found in the Lord. And so we need to learn to rely on him. All right, Second Chronicles 20. I hope you're there. Let's read the first couple of verses. After this, and I'll get to that in a minute, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar. I think I said that right. That is En Gedi, okay? So put yourself in this position, all right? Now, probably as you read it, you're like, Old Testament narrative kind of makes sense. There's probably going to be a battle. I get it. This is what goes on in these kind of passages. Okay, yes, but you got to put yourself in the, in the position of Jehoshaphat. At this point, he has been trying to be a good king. A faithful king. We know that the kingdom at this point is divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And in Israel, there were no good kings. In Judah in the south, there were some good kings and some not so good kings. Jehoshaphat wants to be a good king. And so he's been working really hard to be a good king and to be a faithful king to God. He's been doing his best to tear down idols and remove idol worship from the whole nation. Now, as fast as he would tear them down, they seemed to keep popping back up. So it was a constant thing throughout his entire time that he was a king. In two chapters before this, in chapter 18, there was a, a challenge that was before him. And so he decided that he was going to team up with the not-so-good king from the north. Now, he still wanted to seek the Lord, but he had this guy from the north he wanted to work with, and he didn't want to seek the Lord, and that didn't turn out very well for him. But Jehoshaphat has kind of learned now his lesson, and we're going to see that more in a second. But he's doing good things. He's promoting justice. He's putting in good government and promoting a worship of the Lord. Now, all of a sudden... This coalition from across the Jordan, they come in here. Now, we got a map that we're going to put up for you to kind of get an idea of what's going on here. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. The Edomites are also referred to as the people of Mount Seir. You'll hear that in our text, okay? But not only have they crossed over this Jordan Valley that runs all up the Dead Sea and the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. It's all there, okay? It's all in this big valley. Not only have they come across that, and got to the edge of Judah, but they've actually come inside the country to En Gedi, and they are 35 kilometers from the gates of Jerusalem. So by the time Jehoshaphat hears this, and these, these men come, and they're like, there's a great multitude coming. Now, that great multitude there, I love the Bible. It's a little bit vague. Like, how big is this great multitude? It's great. It's massive, and it's a multitude. 
There is numerically overwhelming superiority. It doesn't matter if we give you a number here. You don't got a chance, Jehoshaphat. That's kind of what the author is saying here, okay? Do you think the Lord has Jehoshaphat's attention at this moment? All right, I think he's got his attention. Now, this sets the stage then for us and for him to learn principles of relying on God. If we're going to turn back to the relying on God that the Lord so desires of us, check out verse 2. Or verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The first point here, hopefully you saw it, it was there three times. And this is the first practice of relying on God. It requires that we seek the Lord. Point number one, seek the Lord. Everything has just changed. Overnight, things went from good, trying to be faithful, Lord. Everything's good to really bad, to really tough. Now, Jehoshaphat here, he is a perfect example. He's afraid. He's allowed to be afraid, but he doesn't stay stuck. He doesn't allow that fear to rule him. In fact, he responds then by seeking the Lord. He has a perfect response. I don't know if you're into the Olympics. Um, I'm into the Olympics. Like, I'm crazy into the Olympics. I'm like watching archery and stuff that like normally I don't care about. And I'm like upset when like judging goes poorly or whatever, but I don't even know why they're judging that way. And I'm just like, I'm just into the Olympics. I love it all, okay? Every judge from every country here gives Jehoshaphat a perfect score, 10 out of 10, for his immediate response to seek the Lord. Now, he doesn't just seek the Lord. It says that he set his face to seek the Lord. Which means there is an intense seriousness in his pursuit of divine help. I just want to pause for a second and think about when we pray and when we seek the Lord. Is there an intense pursuit for divine help? Would you characterize your prayer life like that? That that's what it looks like in your life? We'll get to that more in a minute. Now, he's seeking the Lord. If you look closely in your Bibles, you'll notice that the O-R-D in the word Lord, they're capital letters. And they're capital letters because that's referring to the name Yahweh. Now, Jehoshaphat isn't just saying the name Yahweh because he wants to sound good. He is dropping that name specifically and intentionally for all of the people who are in front of him now. Because when he says Yahweh, they're immediately reminded that this is the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He needs no introduction. They know his past track record, and they know how they can rely on him for the future. So they're seeking him. He's the one that they need to seek. He is the one, and and Jehoshaphat is clearly understanding how dependent he is here. He didn't call to arms everyone in the nation. He just seeks the Lord. And not just him. If you look over to verse 13, you can see there that it's not just the men who are doing this, but it's women, it's children. Everyone is called to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord and rely on the Lord. I love this quote by Andrew E. Hill. To humble oneself before God in the face of insurmountable odds and humanly speaking and to trust him fully for deliverance are the essence of biblical faith. Just look at that for a second. Humble oneself before God and trust him fully. That's what he wants. That's the essence of faith. That's what God desires. That's what Jehoshaphat does here. He's completely dependent on the Lord. He knows I need help. I'm humble enough to recognize I need help and trust God And God is pleased with that. His immediate reaction is to seek the Lord, to go to the Lord. What's your reaction 
time like when it comes to problems entering your life? Our reaction times vary depending on the problem. I'm one of these people, like if I'm driving and the gas light comes on in my car, I'm immediately like, I got to get gas. Like, it's all going to end really poorly if I don't get gas right now. My wife's super gracious. She's like, you got like 40 kilometers. We can go to my parents and back in that amount of time. Like, you're okay. And I'm like, no, we've got to get gas. Now, if your oil light or your check engine lights come on, like, you need to do something about that. But a gas light, you're okay, right? It, it, It hasn't even happened yet. I haven't even run out of gas yet. And I'm freaked out that this emergency is going to happen. And I just shamefully confess to all of you that often I think I'm quicker to react to the gaslight coming on in my car than I am to drop to my knees and set my face to seek the Lord desperately and urgently pleading for him for help. We can't miss Jehoshaphat, his urgency here. That word seek, it's this desire, this begging of God that he would intervene. He is sincerely determined to receive blessing and help from God. Jehoshaphat wants to make sure that God is on his side. That's what we're seeing here. Do we do that? When trouble and challenge and difficulty come, is is that our response to to desperately seek the Lord and call out to him? Well, maybe you're saying, how do we do that? Two ways, okay? First, we seek him in his word. We seek him in his word. Jehoshaphat knows God. He knows him enough that he can say the name Yahweh and point to everybody else that that this is who we're talking about. So he's familiar with God. Now, they didn't have copies of God's word in front of them. So he speaks to just this one word, and it brings back all of these memories. How do we do that? We open God's word, that we would learn about how he works and who he is and what his character is. And we can better understand him and love him and trust him and worship him. So his word, we seek him in his word, but we also seek him in prayer. And we'll talk about this more in just a minute. But Jehoshaphat, he's showing us that that we need to go and inquire of the Lord. You can't seek the Lord without his word and prayer. Lots of people try and seek the Lord in his word and fail to pray. Or they have a great prayer life, but they're not in God's word as much as they need to be. The two go together. We need to be a people who are seeking the Lord in his word and in prayer. They are keys to relying on God. They go together. If you have one key but not the other one, it's not going to go so good. So here's my question for you. As you put yourself in Jehoshaphat's shoes, what is the great multitude coming at you today? What is the great challenge? What is the great difficulty? Maybe it's not a, a huge army, but maybe it is a bunch of people. They just happen to be really short and they live in your house. And your kids just never stop asking questions. And you're kind of going crazy sometimes. And you need the Lord's help. Maybe it's temptation to sin. Maybe it's an overwhelming fear of the world's pressure on your kids. Maybe it's worrying about your job or your marriage or your health or the health of a loved one. Maybe it's anxiety for our country and the political climate that we're in right now. Listen, the only source ever is the Lord. He is the one that we need, the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loved us enough in that while we were still sinners, before we even said we were sorry, before we even understood how rebellious we were towards God, in his love and in his compassion, he sends his son Jesus to make a way so that our ultimate problem, the biggest issue that we have, the greatest horde coming against us, can be removed through faith in Jesus. This is the love that he has for us. 
If he can deal with that, and he willingly does, and then time and time again in his word, he says, and all of the other things, bring them to me. We need to be a people who do that. Seeking the Lord can't just be something we say. It has to be something that we do. We seek the Lord to rely on him. So Jehoshaphat, he calls this like national prayer meeting in verse 5, and in verse 6, he begins to pray. And I'm going to read the whole prayer, so follow along with me. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now... Behold, the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt and who they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This leads us to our second point, the second practice required for relying on the Lord, and that is depending on the Lord. Jehoshaphat here is completely dependent on the Lord. His prayer is one of complete dependence. Now, our requests of God reveal how helpless we understand ourselves to be and display our faith in the one we're asking. An easier way to say that would be to say, what we ask of God demonstrates what we believe of God. And Jehoshaphat here, we're learning a lot about what he believes of God by what he asks of God. If you look at verses 6 and 7, he asks a couple rhetorical questions there. And he does that to emphasize the certainty of these things. Then it says that he, he refers to him, you are God of our fathers, faithful to generations. That's what he's getting at there. He is God in heaven. In his hand are power and might and none is able to withstand him. And that's just verse 6, my friends. Then verses 7 through 11, Jehoshaphat reminds God of his faithfulness and their desire to honor God. And he refers to chapter 6 of this same book, not actually by chapter and verse. But he says, you will hear and you will save. And those are the same words that Solomon used in chapter 6 when dedicating the temple. The point is, he's coming to God and he's like, God, we need you. We're depending on you. And then verses 10 through 11 there, he's essentially like this Transjordan coalition. They are returning all of your good, all of your kindness, that we wouldn't attack them with evil now. Which leads us to verse 12. This beautiful verse. This verse of desperation. God, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We have no plan, God. In fact, God, you are the plan. We completely need your help. Supernatural, divine intervention. We are fully dependent on you right now, God. We know dependence, right? Maybe you have dependents who live with you, and they're dependent on you. You Maybe when you hear the word dependent, you think about your income. You're dependent on your income. Maybe you think of specific people in your life who right now you are dependent on. They do certain things for you. Maybe even physical things that you are unable to do. Maybe you're at home watching this right now, and you're like, yeah, I have some people who I'm very dependent on. Maybe you have unhealthy dependencies. Listen, I can tell you this with certainty. You can live without 
all of those things, but you cannot survive without the Lord. We are all completely dependent on the Lord. In fact, all of those good things that he has provided for us that we depend on, he has provided those things. We are completely dependent on the Lord. The closest example I can think of to this is when I was younger, I had some older friends from my church and that I knew, our family knew, that they were kind of like mentors to me. There's about three or four older guys, and I would go do stuff with them, adventures. And they were all into rock climbing, and I wasn't really into rock climbing, but I would go with them, and they would take me on these adventures, and we would climb these cliffs. Well, they would. I never made it all the way to the top very often, but... When you're climbing, all right, they would set up a rope and it comes down from the top and it hooks onto your harness and you climb up and you fall. Whether you're 50 feet up or 10 feet up, which again, I was usually like the 10 feet up, you are completely dependent on that harness and that rope. If it doesn't hold, you are in a whole lot of trouble. And thank the Lord it always held. But I'll tell you, even that illustration breaks down because that rope is man-made. And the whole setup was set up by a guy. Look at verse 6. This is our God. He is God in heaven. He rules over all the kingdoms and peoples of the earth. In his hand are power and might. And there is no problem too great for him. Do you see that all there in verse 6? This is our God. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jehoshaphat knows this, and so he declares to God, God, I need your help. The number one enemy, though, to reliance and dependence is pride. It's pride that says, I can be independent of you, God, and I can do this on my own. Listen, God, I've got this money to get me out of this situation. I've got this strength, my wisdom, my might, my creativity, my drive, my ability will be enough. And if not, then I'll come to you, God. The problem with that is we are not then relying on the Lord. We are not exercising faith. We are not following him and letting him lead and letting him love us as we should. So we need to be people who pray prayers like verse 12. Look at verse 12. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I don't know what to do, God. And he's not just saying it like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, there is a desperation and an urgency here. There is a great multitude 35 kilometers away that are about to wipe them out. They need help. And so he calls out to God. Do we call out to God like that? Psalm 16.1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Not in self, but in the Lord. Our requests of God reveal how we understand ourselves to be helpful, helpless. I got to tell you, I, I preached this message last weekend at our church, and then I kind of put it in a file, and I put it away, and then Ted called me yesterday. And the whole time that I was leading up to preaching this last week in our church, I had written down this question that the Lord was using in my own heart over and over again. And then I had to pull it out. And as I'm going over it again last night, I'm like, oh, there it is again. And I, I asked this question of myself and I ask it to you. But what does your, what does my prayer life say about our reliance on God? If your prayer life is the gauge, it's the meter by which we understand or you understand or you reveal to God how dependent and reliant you are on him, what does it say? God's trying to teach us, you don't have to be anxious about anything. 
but in everything. With prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, you can come and let your requests be made known to him. That's Philippians 4, 6. We need to talk to God. We need to come to him. We need to confess how desperate we are and get our eyes on him. Jehoshaphat does this. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2 say, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my creativity. It comes from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Jehoshaphat shows us relying on the Lord requires full dependence. God is the plan. So Jehoshaphat is praying this, and you'll see there in verse 13, it starts off with the word meanwhile. Now, I'm going to age myself a little bit because some of you will get this reference, but whenever I see that word meanwhile, it reminds me of that old Batman TV show, and it'd be like, meanwhile, in another part of the city, and then there's like, and it would take you to this other thing that was going on. It's all kind of in the same place, but it's, there's a couple things going on. And so he's praying, meanwhile, this prophet shows up. And this prophet now begins to speak and prophesy over them. And here's what he says in verse 15. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow you will go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I don't know if you saw it there, but twice the prophet says, you don't have to be afraid. He says, the battle's not yours, but the Lord's. He says, stand firm, and the Lord will be with you. Did you also notice He prophesied the time and location for the Lord's victory. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and try and prophesy some time and location for God's victory in your life. But I will tell you this. This reveals to us that he knows. He knows what's going on. He knows what you need and when you need it. And he actually knows when and where and how it'll all be provided. This is an encouraging thing for us. The assurance assurance of God's presence here is it's more than a theological statement. It's a source of strength. Think about that. The assurance of God's presence is more than just something that we say. It's what actually gives us strength. How do you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear evil? Because he's with us. We say all the time, the Lord is with me. God bless you. Well, if we really believe God is blessing us and that he is with us, it should cause there to be this faith that grows up inside us, this strength that comes, a holy strength that comes from him where we say, yeah, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, we can go out and stand against this enemy tomorrow because we know that the Lord is with us. Which leads us to our third point, and that is this. Stand firm in the Lord. God hasn't asked them to do anything but to stand. The battle, in fact, isn't even theirs. It's the Lord's. Just stand. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11 say, His delight is not in the strength of horse, nor his pleasure in the leg of man. It's not about what we bring to the battle, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And this is Jehoshaphat. Is this us? 
Now, in verses 18 and 19 that follow right after this, they just like break into this worship. And then verse 20, read along with me. And they rose early. Now, pause there for a second. I love that they rise early. Now, some of them, I'm sure they rose early because they were like, let's pray some more because I'm still like really nervous. But I think most of them rose early because they were like, God's going to do something. Like, I don't want to miss this. This is not the day to oversleep. This is the day that the Lord has made and I am going to go and watch and be glad with it because of what he is going to do. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Jehoshaphat is saying, have faith in God and you will find him to be faithful. Have faith in God and you will find him to be faithful, my friends here in Mississauga. Trust him. Stand firm in him. Don't run. Don't look for other help. Trust the Lord. Now, at this time, normally after you get the whole nation together, they get one last word of direction. Then there'd be like some sort of war cry and they'd all be off. Actually, we, it would be really great if Jameson was here for this. Check out verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This is full reliance. This is complete dependence. This is standing in the Lord in faith. Their secret weapon is worship. Their secret weapon is worship. So what happens? They start to worship. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Amnon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. He is in control, and God brings this ambush of infighting, which leads to self-destruction of this Transjordan coalition army. They're gone. Jehoshaphat and Judah, all they had to do was rely. They had to have faith in their Lord, who is always faithful. Friends, have faith in God, and you will find him to be faithful. I was trying to look through scripture as I was studying this. Are there any other examples that are like this, of God doing this? And the one that I found, that I, I think there's only really one, it's, it's Moses, and he leads the people out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea. And you know this story. They get to the Red Sea, and as they get there, Egypt has decided, no, we don't want to let you go. We want you to come back. And so they send out, well, let's just call it a great horde. They send out a great multitude, a massive army to come and get them. And they're freaking out. They're standing at the Red Sea. They're trapped. They're refugees who have just left this country. And they're standing there and they don't know what to do. Now, listen to what Moses says and how close it is to what this prophet just says. He says this, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is how God's people fight battles. This is how we face trials and difficulties and worry and temptation and hostility and sickness and temptation and sadness and humanly impossible odds. 
We stand firm with faith, seeking the Lord, depending on him, and trusting in him. Is it easy? No. It's hard. But verses 15 and 17 say the battle is not ours, but it is the Lord's. So we rely on him. We, de- we depend on him. We trust him. Verse 21. Just look at the words that they say when they worship again. Because this is so key. Because worship is their secret weapon. And it can be our secret weapon too. They say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures. They are specifically referring to character traits of God. They are reminding themselves of Yahweh. Of who he is. Now the wording that, that Jehoshaphat uses here, I think this is good for us to see. It's very similar to what David said in 1 Chronicles 16 and Solomon said in 2 Chronicles 5. Why? Because this isn't the only place in Scripture that people do this. They remind themselves as they worship God of his love and his kindness forever. Our God is faithful and he is reliable. We need to depend on him. The problem is that sin creeps in and tells us that we can be independent. Though we don't need someone else to intervene, we just need to do it ourselves. This is why we worship, to remind ourselves, to remind those around us of who it is who is fighting for us. Now, I'd like to say that the Lord always swoops in and makes everything perfect this side of heaven. But as we can read from the rest of Scripture and from however many years of life you have lived on this earth, you know that that's not completely true. But that doesn't change who God is. In fact, he has made a way for us to perfectly win the war. We win the war with Jesus. Ultimate victory over sin and death, forgiveness, welcome to the presence of God for all eternity. But there's still battles along the way. Maybe you're in a battle right now and it's really hard. Sometimes we get beat up pretty bad in battles. But if your faith is in Jesus, you win the war. There are going to be some battles that we're going to face that are going to be really hard. But again, if your faith is in Jesus, you win the war. The winds of discouragement, the waves of sin, the crush of difficulty and heartbreak may be overwhelming. So what do we do while we sit in these battles? I'll tell you, my friends, we worship. What else are we going to do? We're completely reliant and dependent on the Lord anyway. We got to worship the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. What do we do while we wait? We remind ourselves of who it is we're waiting for. We remind ourselves of the truth that we know about him and stand firm in him. We seek him, we depend on him, and then we stand and we wait for him. As we end, I just wonder if as you hear these things, knowing that God is able, knowing that God is always reliable, if there are things that you need to do today. Maybe as you go from here, you need to confess your reliance to God by actively seeking him in his word and prayer. And you need to make that a priority again and say, God, I am relying on you and I need you to speak to me. I need to hear from you. I need to interact with you and do that in his word and prayer. Maybe you need to to depend on the Lord. And you need to speak words of dependence. You need to articulate what you know in your heart is true. You need to say things like verse 12. God, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. And I'm I'm not telling you he's going to be like, well, here's what you're going to do. It doesn't always work like that. But he calls us to trust him and declare these things to him. And then while we wait, 
We stand firm in him and we worship him. We look to the one who is able, who is reliable. This is what God blesses. This is what we need to return to more than anything else. It's complete reliance on our good God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just recognize right now, God, we are only where we are because of you and your grace. In fact, any of the good things that we have in our lives or around us are because of you, and we've only made it this far on this planet because of your grace and your love. And in a room this big, this many people, there are many different circumstances. And as the chronicler wrote in Second Chronicles, many great hordes that come against us. God, would you help us to seek you that you may be found Would you help us to depend on you? Because we know you are always found faithful. And would you help us, God, to stand firm in you, worshiping you, declaring to ourselves time and time again how good and wonderful you are. You are our only hope. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.